Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Does the U.S. government take UFOs seriously or not? What is the relationship among governments when it comes to UFOs? What is disclosure and when might it come? Well, greetings and welcome to the 611th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And after that, the Florida-like forecast for here in New England, uh, I'm Paul, and uh, those high-flying questions uh, get us started this evening. I'm sorry to say Ben is not with us this evening. Uh, he has grown up, as many of you have listened to him growing up, uh, grow up on the air, both on CBS and here on ON 1240, and he is now preparing to get married. I can't believe it either. And uh, he has a full-time job that often takes him out of state uh, on Mondays, and sometimes he's here and sometimes he isn't. So we send you his very best and his apologies. Anyway, this evening we bring you a very prominent guest in the UFO field for his first appearance on the show. An open line, I should say, uh, and we welcome your calls. It's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. Richard Dolan is one of the world's leading researchers and writers on the subject of UFOs. He is the author of two volumes of history, UFOs and the National Security State, the theme of our discussion this evening. He also co-authored a speculative book about the future, A.D., that's after disclosure, an analysis of, of not only of how UFO secrecy might end, but of the all-important question, what happens then? Richard's latest work, UFOs for the 21st Century Mind, provides a fresh treatment of the entire subject. His media appearances over the years are too numerous to mention, but they include Ancient Aliens, Hangar One, The UFO Files, and Close Encounters. He hosts a weekly radio show, The Richard Dolan Show, aptly enough, on KGRA Radio and is the frequent a frequent guest on Coast to Coast AM. Richard completed graduate work at the University of Rochester, New York, where he studied U.S. Cold War strategy, European history, and international diplomacy. Before that, he studied at Alfred University and Oxford University and was a finalist for a Rhodes Scholarship. He is a prominent publisher in the field, and his website, richarddolanpress.com. And Richard, welcome to Behind the Paranormal for the first time. Uh, thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. Yeah, great. I don't, I don't know how we missed you all these years, but here you are, so that's good. So let's begin at the beginning, Richard. Um, there are many answers to the question of what are UFOs, but what is your personal belief about what UFOs are when they really are something that's uh, unexplainable? Yeah, well, this is the mystery. I mean, I've been looking into this uh, a long time, as you have been, and I, I would really be hesitant to say that I know the true answer of what this really represents. Sure. Um, uh, I, I would say that when we look at evidence-based uh, phenomenon, uh, that is through um, what I like to look at, officially declassified documents are number one and very good witness reports uh, right up there with them. We appear to be dealing with uh, someone's technology that does not have a valid explanation in terms of our conventional wisdom. You know, So someone's got something that's not supposed to exist, and that's the big starting point. Um, you know, where we take it from there is uh, a you know, matter of great speculation and debate among researchers. I do think that I think it would be silly to rule out uh, beings from elsewhere in this universe. Uh, you know, we call it the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I think it's still a valid hypothesis. It's a lot of competition because we realize that this is a weird, a very weird phenomenon in terms of... Um, 
just the way it seems to interact with our minds and the way that it seems to interact with even sometimes things like space-time or um, the very nature of our reality. This is a very strange subject indeed, and the, the deeper mm. you go, the stranger it seems. So I, I really I wouldn't presume that I have the full answer as to what I think we're dealing with, except it's not us. Okay. Well, that's reasonable enough. Well, you know me well enough to know. We've spoken at several of the same conferences, and you know me well enough to know that I question, Ben and I both question everything, especially the assumptions people make about what, whether it's UFOs or the other areas of the paranormal or whatever. A lot of people assume that the government knows a lot. Okay. What, what, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but you know, I don't have the standing in the field you have by any means, but what does the government know, do you think? Um, well, what I, what I think is the case is that there have been uh, military encounters with this phenomenon. So that's really the thing that got me involved in this uh, years ago. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> Something just went down the wrong pipe there. Yep. The reason that Don't I, have dinner while you're on the air. <clears throat> no, just, sorry. Okay. Take your time. <clears throat> the reason that right. I... <clears throat> well, uh, what you, get a glass of water or something <laughs> and I'll yak for a minute. No, 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 I'm good. Okay. The reason that I'm I'm interested in the, U, the military reports, uh, honestly, is because those are not up for debate. They're real. <clears throat> there we go. Better. Good. And um, and we know that they received a response within the national security hierarchy, and and military is part of the of the government. So when you, when I looked at declassified military documents from the 1940s and 50s, in particular, 1960s and 70s, and we do have a certain number of these that are available for anybody to read. Uh, what you find is that there is a definite phenomenon that has been noted and tracked with concern by U.S. military personnel. And we also have glimpses into the responses by other national militaries as well, including Canadian, including British, including French, including Russian, uh, and including South African and Australian and Japanese and Chinese and pretty much everywhere. We have glimpses into those. And so what we, I think that we can safely conclude is that militaries around the world have attempted to intercept these objects that in many cases have invaded sensitive airspace. So that being a military problem, that makes it a government problem as well. So if the mm -hmm. United States military is dealing with invasions of its airspace over uh, nuclear installations, which we've had happening since the 1940s, and this is not a matter of debate, we have it as a matter of historical record, that makes it a government problem. That makes it a national security problem. Therefore, I think we have to assume there are government personnel, whether military, intelligence, or government, or whatever, but there are personnel who have been briefed on this and have opinions on this. And does that mean that they have full knowledge? That's a whole different question. Mm -hmm. But there is there's information that they have, and I've been speculating and thinking about this for many years now, and my, my reasoning goes, basically as follows. If there are airspace violations, we know we've got the documents proving it. Um, and at the same time that these things were happening, the U.S. government was telling the public that there is nothing to this phenomenon, with, you know, like a cop on the beat, let's keep it moving people, nothing to see here. Then we know that there's a lie in, in here somewhere, that there's deception. And technically speaking, we can call that a cover-up because information is being covered up. Hmm. So that's the starting point of what I would say. This is the UFO cover-up. We have serious uh, things happening. Government is not telling the public about it, and to this day, frankly, they continue to deny that there's anything significant here. Okay. So 
know, that to me is the, it's like the, the crowbar, I believe, that I like to use it. You know, every time I come back to all of the other uh, speculative and things that we don't know, this is one thing that we do know, and I, I consider it like the crowbar to pry open that door. Mm-hmm. Because it's the one thing that I really feel that is, is solid information. Okay. There's a phenomenon, it's being covered up. All right. One of the questions I've always had, and, and you're a student of international diplomacy, I studied international law, is uh, the matter of coordination among governments, or lack thereof, when it comes to this issue. Right. It's certainly a global phenomenon. And the question is, what are the relations among governments when it comes to this this sort of stuff? I know, when, uh, at least I heard that when Brazil released some information about a sighting by its military, I don't know exactly sure. when, some years ago, uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. government supposedly was upset. What do you have to say about that issue? Oh, well, this is uh, really the kinds of questions that I'm looking at most deeply these days, this whole aspect of how does the international, is there an international cover-up? I mean, the United States is not the only Asian in the world. So how, how would it work internationally? Relating to Brazil, incidentally, um, I, the sighting that you're referring to, Brazil has had a long history of fascinating UFO sightings, mm. and I think their most prominent one that we know of uh, took place in 1986, and it, it took place over an enormous portion of the country and engaged a, a large amount of the Brazilian Air Force. Um, very good data on this uh, number of Brazilian jets chasing these objects, getting them on radar, seeing them. Uh, ground-based radar. This was a huge mess. It was back in May of 1986. But Brazil has had many, many other fascinating cases, uh, both before and after that event. Relating to, um, you know, international disclosure, international cover-up. So, like, when Brazil released that information, for example, um, they were very smart about it. Um, They did not say, we know that aliens are here. They didn't make the disclosure statement that some people have been pushing for and that I wrote a book about. Uh, What they said is, we have had encounters that we cannot explain. And we had encounters by our military that we cannot explain. And they kind of left it at that. And that's about as far as any of these nations really is ever willing to go. Um, When you look at the international cover-up, it's very important, I think, that people understand how international geopolitics really is structured. What is the true structure of power on this planet? And um, what we really have is a major block of power, which is dominated by the United States. And that block of power controls about 85 or so percent of global military spending. But the United States and its key strategic allies control nearly all of the military spending in the world. You've got Russia and China, You've got Iran to a certain extent, North Korea. Some of these nations are outside the U.S. sphere. But really, you're talking Russia and China. Those two nations combined have um, 11% of global military spending. China is at 8% as of 2014, and Russia is at 3%. The U.S., by the way, on its own, has uh, 39 to 40%. And then when you add in Britain and Saudi Arabia and France and Germany and you know, all the others... You're talking about 85% that the U.S. controls. So when you look at it that way, what we really can see is that not only are these allies of the U.S., but the U.S. has its intelligence community intimately in the hooks of all of these other nations. So like Canada really can't do a thing without the NSA collaborating with them, without the CIA collaborating with them. They just can't. Uh, None of the NATO nations can. Israel cannot. Um, Even Brazil 
Brazil is sort of straddling the fence there a little bit because they're part of the so-called BRICS alliance, which is an economic entity outside of the World Bank, outside the IMF. But Brazil, as we know now from uh, Edward Snowden's uh, leaks, the Brazilian president, all the Brazilian ministry, uh, ministers, all of their cell phones are tapped by NSA, every single one of them. Uh, all of their emails are monitored. In other words, the Brazilian president could not just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to give up the whole UFO secret here, um, or any important secret for that matter, because the NSA would know about it well in advance. And that was and in the news lately, as I recall. What was the uh, yeah, The Brazilian uh, president uh, having his phone tapped by the NSA. Yeah, that was uh, less than a year ago, and, mm-hmm, and yeah. they're very unhappy about it. Yeah, so, and, sorry and to interrupt. Yeah. About, right. Oh, yeah, with Angela Merkel of Germany, the same type of uh, scandal. Uh, it was an embarrassment, you know, for America and for her. Uh, clearly, the German uh, intelligence knew uh, that her phone was being tapped, but when it came out, they had to do something about it. So the fact is that the U.S., has a complete domination over its allies in a way that I don't really think people kind of understand. So when you're looking at the UFO aspect of the secret, we're looking at a global phenomenon, yes, but one in which the United States is absolutely is the dog that's got to pee on everyone's tree, except for Russia and China, essentially. They're the two major powers that are outside, and they're the wild cards, as I see it, in this whole scenario in terms of UFO and, and everything else. Okay. All right. What um, is uh, if, uh, there's so so much to this subject that you just uh, brought up here? Uh, I'll tell you, Richard. But uh, and as far as the disclosure movement, can you define the disclosure movement for those who don't know what it may be? Sure, sure. And this is something that I got dragged into kicking and screaming. I really hmm. was not a disclosure person, a disclosure guy for years. Um, but it is true that I wrote and have always written about the UFO cover up. I've always looked at this primarily in a, a political way, and so I guess it's not, um, you know, not unusual that I would get kind of brought into the disclosure discussion. So the idea of disclosure is very simple. It was it is will the United States government, presumably the U.S. or some other major government, disclose the reality of the UFO phenomenon and basically admit to a cover-up that has been going on, um, essentially acknowledge that this is a real thing. Um, that's the basic statement. And there have been a number of people who have been using this phrase for the past 15 years or so. Uh, you have individuals like uh, Dr. Stephen Greer, who um, might be the first one to start using this phrase in, a, in that kind of context, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, my colleague Stephen Bassett has been using it very, very um, explicitly for many years. And uh, a lot of other people, I, and I started talking about it as well, and I wrote, I wrote a book after Disclosure with Bryce Sable in which we tried to sit down and, and really think what, what would it take for a disclosure actually to happen, and if it were to happen, how would it transform our world? So this debate, is, this discussion, I guess, has been evolving over the past 15, 20 years, um, and I guess it's kind of a logical way to go. Like If you're, if you're talking about a cover-up, naturally, I think most People who believe they're citizens in a kind of a free world think that a cover-up is wrong. I think it's probably what most people would assume. Some people don't think it's wrong, but a lot of people do think that the public has a right to know. And if you do, then you would want at some point for that to be rectified and for the government to come out with the truth or the truth as far as they know it. That's the idea of 
I've never okay. been someone who thinks that disclosure is going to solve every problem we have. In fact, I think in a lot of ways it'll make things a lot more messy for a long time and maybe worse for a while. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I also think that we'll, you know, what we want is really seldom what we get anyway. And what we, you know, we're, we're on a track as I see it. And I think this is going to happen whether we like it or not. All right. There are a couple of questions, Richard, actually two questions that, that are prominent in my mind about disclosure. One is, should disclosure occur, as you've described it, how, do we, how will we know that what we're being told is true? Uh, certainly, uh, certainly our, our government, if you're an American citizen, whether you, uh, whatever political party you want to support, uh, I think we can say that both of these party leaderships have been lying to people for years and decades and generations. So, um, I mean, this is an exactly on-point question, Paul. I agree. You know, how how can we know that we're being told the truth? My uh, opinion has always been that disclosure will be dominated by spin and lies. This is what I wrote explicitly in After Disclosure, that, um, you know, it's really folly for people to think, oh, yes, well, we'll just um, we'll pressure the government to tell us what they know. <laughs> Uh, the, the CIA and related agencies have spent an entire human lifetime to control this information. I can't possibly believe they're just going to walk away from the table and um, and just give this out uh, because people want it. Um, this is a very serious matter. The, the UFO phenomenon is, in my view, the most revolutionary topic in the world today, more than anything else that I can imagine. And the reason it's revolutionary is because if for no other reason, I mean, forget the existential reality of other beings that would be here and what that would do to transform our notion of ourselves, but in a more practical sense, if this UFO secret were acknowledged, it wouldn't take very long at all for people to realize that these objects, these flying saucers, these whatever they are, are using something other than petroleum to go from point A to point B. So there's Implicit in the solution to the UFO mystery is a post-petroleum era. And really, the the biggest obstacle in in getting to a post-petroleum era is simply knowing that it is possible. If if we know for sure that there is a way to use, whether it's electrogravitics or geomagnetics or some sort of principle to use it to go, it's going to happen. And with an end of the petroleum-dominated era, that is a complete transformation of the global infrastructure. And so it's a revolutionary proposition. Um, and so for those individuals and groups who have dominant power in our global civilization, I am working on the assumption that they do not want that to change. And so I, I think that we're going to be dominated by spin, by lies, by all kinds of deception to keep that truth from coming out. So how do we know? We don't know. All we can do is our best, and when, if there is an ignition that is forced out, whether due to a mass sighting or whether due to a leak that cannot be denied, I think those are two possible candidates, you know, a WikiLeaks-type phenomenon, for example, or, um, or a mass sighting that just hits the sweet spot, a number of people record it, and it becomes impossible to deny, I think it's totally possible that this happens. Okay. Uh, I have to interrupt you there, Richard. No, no I'm sorry. No, go ahead and finish your thought, but we have a caller. Well, something that just forces forces an, ad, forces an admission, but that doesn't mean that the admission is going to be complete or total or even honest. Mm-hmm. So uh, it will be up to the people. That includes researchers and non-researchers alike to do our very best at fact-checking 
and investigating claims and emissions. The, the one positive thing about any kind of acknowledgement of this reality is that it will allow this topic to be put out on the public uh, for public discussion. Okay, uh, so I see what you're that's saying. That's the big difference, and I think that's, that's a, that would be a positive thing. Okay. We have a call from Scott from Uxbridge, Massachusetts. Scott, welcome to the show, and uh, do you have a question for Richard Dolan? I do, sir. Thank you. How are you, gentlemen? Oh, better than nothing. How are you? Good. I'm good. Here's a thought I have for you. Now, whenever people report UFOs, you know, it's always a giant UFO in the, in the sky, and, and, you know, the, the alien that gets out of the, the craft is always, always has two legs like ours and two arms like ours and two eyes like ours. But what about the concept, and I've always thought about this, that what if there's, that anyone visiting us is much smaller, that they're not our size. And, and here's the point I'm trying to make, is that a couple of years ago, I was outside, and I live in the woods, and I saw an insect that I never saw before. And I, I looked at it, and I went, wow, I've never seen anyone looks like you before what if they're they're smaller than us and we're we're being visited by creatures from another you know universe wherever but they're smaller than us because if we went to somewhere else we'd be bigger or smaller than them and i saw an, i saw uh, we would call it a bug or whatever a creature you know, crawling on the ground. But think about that. What if they're just smaller than us? And we, we can't really put it in the terms of like, oh, it's a giant UFO. What if their craft is just simply smaller? Okay, Let me jump in there, Richard, yeah, please. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. So in terms of the reports that we have gotten over the many years, I, I think it's important to mention that the size of the objects that people have reported have varied tremendously. I mean, absolutely tremendously. So there have been some reports, and this includes military reports, of objects that are the size of multiple aircraft carriers in the sky. And I kid you not, these, and the, except these are not floating on the water. They're up in the sky. Um, there have been a few of them, huge. Other objects that are uh, recorded as the size of, say, like a large like 747, 757 airliner. But they're not shaped like an airliner. They're shaped like a, um, like a disc-shaped object or uh, of some other large size. Uh, you also have reports of objects, aerial objects, that are much smaller, very small, that behave in ways that are nonetheless impossible. You have reports of uh, intelligently moving orbs of light that are basically, looks like intelligent balls of light. What the heck are those? And those can be a basketball size or smaller. Um, you have reports of objects the size of um, hockey pucks that uh, zip around. You have uh, reports of objects smaller than hockey pucks zipping around. So, in fact, I would, I would, um, I think it's important to mention that in terms of the good reports that we have, at least what seem like good reports to me, th these vary tremendously. In terms of beings that are reported, it is true. This is a very uh, important thing to mention. They all seem to be bipedal. They all seem to have a couple of arms, a couple of eyes. Uh, sometimes they have ears, sometimes they don't have ears, but they're basically humanoid in appearance. And this is a cause of endless speculation and debate 
like what are people seeing? Are we are we seeing hallucinations? Are we being mind controlled? Are we just pulling up, um, you know, deep seated um, kind of unconscious um, projections of our own mind? You know, things like this. All of these are possible. It's also possible. I've speculated that some of these beings might be genetically created uh, from some artificial intelligence to function on this planet. Who, who knows? I don't really know the answer to that. In terms of what you saw, this insect-like creature, um, my inclination would be to say that you probably saw an insect that you didn't recognize. That would be my go-to position. And an entomologist, insect expert, would probably be the one you want to talk to rather than uh, a, a UFO researcher. But um, having said that, you know, if you read some uh, really good books on the future of artificial intelligence, I'm a big fan of Ray Kurzweil, for example. He talks about future intelligence uh, being, you know, the size of um, a grain of rice, but that would have uh, basically superhuman intellectual capability and be able to zip around. You'd never even notice it. Is that what we're dealing with? And if that's the case, then why would we be dealing with these big old crafts? Uh, lots of questions, not a lot of answers. I, I do have one other question for you, sir. And this is my thought is that because it's such a vast uh, distance between, you know, uh, galaxies and everything, that perhaps what we're seeing is actually not a, an organic being that's coming out of the craft. It's more robotic mm-hmm. be, because it takes so long to get from one place in the galaxy to another or from galaxy to galaxy. What we're actually seeing coming out of the craft is actually more like you would say a robot, mm-hmm. because well, yeah, I, a, I will, um, a living a living being couldn't travel that far. Yeah, yeah. Or, or well, I'm sorry, yeah. I, I'm sorry, you talk. Well, no, I, I, I mean, I got your point. Your, your point's very clearly stated. It's just let me address it. Um, I actually wrote about this, um, gosh, uh, almost 15 years ago myself. I, I think I might have been one of the first UFO researchers to actively to address the whole question of AI. And um, it's been my belief for uh, a long time that what we are dealing with, at least in some parts of of this phenomenon, is the product of an artificial intelligent um, civilization, artificial intelligent creation, Uh, whether they're robots or some combination of organic and inorganic material. I mean, keep in mind, we're in an age of now organic 3D printing. Uh, These creatures that we're dealing with could be literally could be manufactured off of the craft itself, or they, uh, they could be genetically engineered, for all we know, to live uh, 500 years, or they could be uh, filled with uh, carbon nanotubes, or they could have nanochips in their brain. There's all kinds of possibilities uh, when you're talking about creating an artificial being that would be quasi-biological, quasi-mechanical. You know, I think we've got to get past the uh, kind of old idea of robots, uh, versus living creatures, I think the uh, future of life is going to be a little more complex, a lot more complex than is it organic or not. I think we're looking at a combination. But, yeah, I think your basic point, um, I think it's a reasonable theory, and I've entertained it for the last 13, 14 years myself. Okay. Gentlemen, no, I'll have no, to, uh, we have to take our break. Um, Scott, if you want to hold on and continue the discussion, please do. It's just, just going to be a brief break. Anyway, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal okay. with with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stick with us. Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. Hi, 
Hi, this is Romeo Berthi. I'm inviting you to join me every Saturday morning from 6 to 9 for the Saturday Show. This all-request program includes music, news, sports, weather, and all sorts of community announcements. And what a great way to start your weekend. Join me this Saturday morning. Okay, and I wanted to remind you of some of the charities Ben and I have adopted, but we have such a great discussion going here. We're uh, going to leave that to the announcement section. Now, I, let, let's uh, finish our call with Scott. Scott, if you have anything else uh, you'd like to contribute, that'd be great. And then I want to give uh, Richard a chance to talk about his books and his website. So, Scott, uh, do you have any further questions? Uh, yeah, actually, I do. Uh, well, you were talking about... Uh the fact that it, it's going to be a combination of things. So if we go back to, like, the 70s with the bionic man, is that where you're going with this? It's sort of a combination of, like, I don't mean necessarily bionic, but <laughs> you, you see where I'm going with this. Somewhere where, uh, where it's computers and some kind of uh, electrical information yeah. going into a, a living creature, and we're going to basically we're going to interface organic and electronics. Yeah, I think uh, more or less that's what I'm suggesting. Um, I mean, think about the technologies that we're looking at right now that are about to revolutionize our world in the next generation. So you've got uh, nanotechnology that is, you know, microscopic um, uh, ro robotic uh, entities. I mean, they're actually becoming down to the nanoscale level. Uh, you've got the, the advent of what will be called strong AI, strong artificial intelligence, that becomes essentially self-aware. We're either there in the covert world or we're about to get there. Uh, you've got uh, complete mastery or just about complete mastery of the human genome and uh, genetic engineering in a way that we could never have imagined 20 years ago, say 50 years ago. And you've got things like uh, 3D printing and organic 3D printing. And you've also got, in our own world now, increasing levels of implants that are coming into people, particularly military. This is starting to come out more and more, basically super implants uh, for soldiers in various ways. Um, and you can read about these in various news articles. Information's coming out there. So I think what we're seeing is a kind of coalescence of, of various technologies and sciences that are coming in to recreate the human being. And I think within a century or so, we're going to be seeing very, very wide range of um, capabilities among humans. It's going to be a crazy world. So if, you, if we extrapolate that for our own civilization, I don't really think it's difficult to see that a, a civilization that might be thousands or even a million years more advanced than our own, where could they go with it? Um, I think creating an artificial being um, with techno technological and organic Organic is technology, but I guess organic and inorganic material, I think, is not out of the question at all. Okay. All right. So my my last question for you, sir, <laughs> is this, and I, I will I will hang up and I'll listen. Do you think? Well, this is a talk think, show, so go for it. Oh, yeah, okay. go for it. Do, do you believe it's a? Do you believe it's possible to have the inorganic, let's say, the robot with? awareness of self is that coming up yeah yeah i think uh i mean look i would just say if people think ufos are weird they should read some good books on artificial intelligence this has been openly discussed for gen for over a generation oh my goodness um, it, since, it, it, since it was it was done back in 1920 what 27 26 with the film uh what was the film what was that movie 
Well, they, um, well Metropolis? It's been for a yeah, long exactly. Time. Thank you. Yeah, it's been discussed for a long time, and, and people have said, no, nah, nah, we're not we're not even close. But now you've got a lot of scientists who are saying uh, we're actually becoming very close. And if you look up the phrase singularity and AI, you will find an unbelievable wealth of information to, uh, um, to look into this. This is a very, very active area of research and discussion going on, and it's been going on at a very sophisticated level for over 20, 20 plus years. Excellent. Okay, I think we're going to move on. Scott, thank you very much for your call. Uh, we have a, a message in here on Facebook from Deanne uh, saying that the show cut out on her, uh, and someone just asked about very small ETs. Okay, so uh, hopefully Deanne can get back. And I do emphasize to anyone who happens to be a new listener or an old listener, too, that uh, BehindTheParanormal.com, our website, has over 630 free podcasts, and this one will be up hopefully tomorrow. And uh, you can just go for it if you have the time. Uh, there are special shows, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, before we move on and finish burning up this hour, which we're doing very quickly, uh, Richard, tell us about your website, your books, where people can find out more. Sure. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Um, uh, my website is richarddolanpress.com, and it features um, my own work. I've uh, published now four books. Uh, they're all available. People can look at them. I have a lot of articles I've written over the years. They're freely available. Uh, links to YouTube videos, all of that. Uh, is there now? In addition to that, I'm I am the publisher of a number of really cool and brilliant authors. Uh, I'm I'm really proud of the people that have published. Uh, they are all they all have a page on the website Richard Dolan Press, along with a lot of information about their books. And uh, in fact, this week I'm in the process of wrapping up uh, work on a new book by one of uh, my newest my newest author that will be published. I'm excited about this one. Uh, a bizarre book and a brilliant book by a gentleman named Mike Cleland, who has, uh, I guess if you Google the owl guy, owl UFOs, you'll find Mike. He uh, has written a fascinating, I mean, a very forward-thinking book called Owls, Synchronicities, and UFO Abduction. Wow, sounds and like a good potential guest. It, it is an unbelievable read. I actually, uh, I'm so high on this book. I think it's, uh, I honestly consider this one of the best UFO books written in the last 20 years, and I think it will take research in exciting and productive directions. And uh, the idea of synchronicities is very, very important. Outstanding, yes, um, very important. And I think he makes a very interesting case that we we live in a very bizarre reality, very bizarre. I'll leave it at that. But anyway, yes, this is richardolanpress.com, and um, I um, I've published books by uh, Dr. Richard Stouter on underground bases, uh, the, the best uh, single-volume work on triangular UFOs by David Marler, um, a book on FBI, CIA, UFO cover-up by Dr. Bruce McAbee, who's one of the most prominent UFO researchers in the world, and uh, many, many other books. I'm, I'm very proud of them. Very good. Found at Richard Press. Well, many of them have been on the show, and we're, we're proud to call them friends, uh, as we are you. Uh, now, let me just get back to the topic here of disclosure uh, for my second point. Uh, mm -hmm. And I wanted to get your thoughts on the idea that what, and we've gone round and round with Steve Bassett on this uh, several times on the show. And he insists that no matter how terrible or terrifying or, up, or, or what upheaval the truth might cause, that he wants to know what it is. Do you have the same opinion or do you think there are things that maybe ought to be withheld? Well, I think I basically agree with Stephen on that. Hmm. Um, I, I think that I do, uh, and here's why. I mean, I, I, I've had a long, long discussions with Stephen about this, and we don't agree on every single thing. And 
uh, he has always been way more optimistic about the in, imminence of disclosure than I have been. Um, but I do think, I believe in this thing called the truth. Um, I, I would never call myself a utopian, um, but I often have described myself as an idealist. And I, if there's one thing that I believe in, I, I have to say I believe in the truth. I don't like being lied to. I don't like being treated like I'm five years old by my government. Just don't. So if there's something important going on in this world, that, uh, and I think that this is an important thing, then I expect my government, which is supposed to be responsible to me as a citizen and to you as a citizen, uh, to respond to me properly and to deal with me in a forthright way and, and, and um, come out with the truth on this. Because when you have a society that is based on a lie about something this important, uh, I believe that it creates a distortion in the entire society. It's like uh, like someone on drugs that's in denial, and you know you've got this huge thing in one's life, and no one's allowed to talk about it. And uh, it's just really that way with UFOs, as well as a number of other things in our society. But let's just say UFOs, a very important thing that many people experience. Very few people feel that they're able to talk about this openly. I've spoken to many individuals who've had experiences, and they've sometimes been traumatized, sometimes been transformed, but in any case, this has been something very important to them, and yet they can't talk about it even to their family or their uh, work because of, of ridicule and career problems and so on. And okay. this happens because of a, a policy, a government policy of ridicule and denial that spreads throughout the society. So I think that's a problem. Uh, I, I think that for us to mature truly as a civilization the way we need to, we've got to be doing that based on truth. And if the truth hurts, though, well, then you deal with it and you, you move on and you grow. Okay. All right. Yeah. Now, you know, after disclosure, if it's a big mess, people can uh, bring the pitchforks and torches to my house and we'll, we'll talk about it. <laughs> you and Steve both, huh? All right. <laughs> Uh, Richard, some people believe that at least one factor in the rise of science fiction over the last 65 years or so is an attempt by government or whomever to get people ready for disclosure. What's your opinion of that opinion? Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. The whole connection of the UFO phenomenon to our whole sci-fi culture of the past uh, 60, 70 years. I mean, there's definitely a close relationship. You can see it in TV. You can see it in movies. Um, you know, a show like Star Trek, for goodness sake, uh, in a lot of ways has, uh, I don't think could have been made without a UFO phenomenon. I really believe that. Hmm. And, um, and this goes, I think, with a lot of the other um, very key sort of motifs that have been in our pop culture for, for many years. So I think the UFO phenomenon has gotten its way in. The real question that you're asking is, is there a kind of a slow kind of drip, drip, drip of information to seed this idea into popular culture to prepare the public. Yes, and thank I don't, you. I don't have the, the true answer to that. Uh, I've gone back and forth. So on the one hand, I, I look at this as a, as a reality that from the point of view of those who have power and who know about this, my feeling, this is just my, my feeling, is that they have no motivation for giving this secret up. I think they have too much to lose. Um... On the other hand, it's also true that every ruling elite throughout human history has always had factions, and um, and it is entirely conceivable, and I have indeed heard rumors and leaks of this effect, that there are divisions of opinion uh, at the very top, and that there have always been factions who believe that this information should come out. So you could argue that certain things get leaked out 
uh, to prepare the public. We do know that the CIA has had a Hollywood liaison for uh, generations. Um, man, uh, a man named Chase Brandon went public about this a couple of years ago, and he he's a real guy. He's really with the CIA, and he really was the CIA's liaison to Hollywood. And he would consult with Hollywood movies on um, matters that are important to the CIA. And he did this on many, many Hollywood blockbusters. So we know that there's an, a relationship there. Okay. Um, so it's conceivable for me that that uh, there would be a desire to manage the UFO part of it. There's there's a, an interview done with a, a very brilliant man named Kit Green, Dr. Christopher Green, who um, back in the 70s and 80s was with the CIA and was known as the keeper of the weird. He ran a lot of CIA UFO data, controlled it. And he's, uh, I've spoken to Kit Green myself a few times. He did an interview with uh, fellow researcher Grant Cameron and talked about the idea of a uh, limited hangout. This is an idea where the CIA would put information out there and then run away from it. So you, you, you put it in the public domain and then you kind of, you don't connect yourself to it in one way or another. And the idea of this being to see the public, to put an idea out there in a safe way. Yeah. And he, he really was explicitly suggesting that this type of thing has been done with the UFO phenomenon. But if it really has been done with the UFO phenomenon or not, I, I, I can't say myself. So it's possible, when you, when you think about how massive the implication of this subject is, I mean, it's just so huge. It, it would make sense to me, if you go back to 1950, 1960, and imagine where public consciousness was at that time. Um, you know, their idea of, of UFOs were flying saucers piloted by men and maybe women in metal spaceships coming from another planet. But what if the reality is vastly more strange and, let's say, disturbing than that? Mm -hmm. It might take a long time, a long time to get people up to speed, and it would take generations, frankly, uh, to avoid major cultural shock. So on that basis, the theory is sound. The only problem I have with it is when I look at what Hollywood produces on this subject, it's, it just seems such utter garbage for the most part. <laughs> yeah. that, uh, I mean, really, so that people, is it really preparing people for, for extraterrestrials? Uh, if they are, it's a completely unrealistic, I mean, like, that's like in the movie Paul, you know, the smart-ass alien. Oh, my you know, gosh, yes. It, it, I don't really think is preparing people. If it was named after me, I wouldn't have paid uh, much more attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> But in any case, you know, I, I, I worked in, well, I had some intelligence training in the military, although at a very low level, but there was a principle that really stuck in my mind that, you know, the, the, there's a tactic by which you, you don't try and keep secrets really anymore because people, you know, everybody's got a big mouth and got the internet and they, there are, are no secrets really. They're, you just garble them. You know, you release accurate information yeah. from um, people who are nutballs and you release inaccurate information from people who are very reliable and it just keeps everybody guessing and everybody loves a mystery. So it matches, it, it kind of dovetails with what you just said. Yeah, I think that, that you nailed it. I think that's exactly what we are dealing with. Um, so it's not a matter, I think, I think back in the 50s and 60s, it was much more of a situation where government actually was slamming down on information and, and doing less of the kind of garbling and disinformation. It's a lot easier now, frankly. Um, First of all, you've got an intimate connection between the intelligence community, military intelligence, and the global media. A lot of work's been done on this. A lot of journalism's discussed this. Uh, we've got, the, I mean, the Pentagon itself uh, uh, spends, I believe, $4 billion a year on its own 
social media, social relations, public image. Yeah, at least. Huge amount of money. Um, and a lot of that includes influencing major media and much more. Uh, and creating Internet trolls, too. They have a lot of paid trolls out there. Um, so garbling information, I think you're exactly right. Um, and there, there are people in the UFO field who will be willing to interview anybody with a story. So if you were, I mean, honestly, if you were in the pay of the intelligence community and you had one of the, you know, throw some garbage out there, there would be no shortage of people in this field. Yeah, too true. You and put your story out there and then just littering the, littering the street with more trash. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked many guests, um, and no one has been able to say that they've heard of this, okay? There supposedly was, and, and that includes uh, our good friend Stanton Friedman. This, this is a, um, a, I don't know, I suppose a traveling exhibit that supposedly was being planned, uh, albeit by showmen at the behest of the government, some, I don't know, it was 70s or 80s some, at some period, and it was called Cosmic Journey. And the term struck us so, so much that it's, it's a theme of our own paranormal work, and it's the title of our, our next, Ben's in my book that's coming out uh, soon from Schiffer. Have you ever heard of this cosmic journey proposal or anything of that kind? I believe I have not. And, uh, well, so, well you're, you're, we're batting a thousand here with that. I, I don't, I'm trying yeah. to think where I heard of it. But, but uh, it yeah, um, if I find out any more, I'll let you know. I wrote a 600-page history dealing with it from the 1970s to 1991. It would have covered that period. And I, um, I mean, a lot of it covered ufology, UFO research. And um, in my research, I went through every back issue of the MUFON UFO Journal, and I can tell you I don't, I'm pretty confident in saying it was not covered by the MUFON Journal okay. or, or the International UFO Reporter or uh, the APRO Bulletin. Those are the, ma- the three major UFO publications of the 70s. I have them all on my shelf. I'm looking at them, and I don't, I don't remember that in there. Hmm. So I'm not really sure what that is. But okay. if you guys have got research on it, I'd love to read. Yeah, well, there's a much. Yeah, and, uh, next time we get together, or I can send you, send you some information because we'll, we'll be talking off the air. We'll, we'll do that. What is the nature of this? I'm not well, sure this supposedly, and again, this is way back now. It's, this supposedly was a, a traveling exhibit that was, suppo- that was going to include alien bodies, or at least replicas of alien bodies and things of this kind, uh, as, a, a me- as a first step or, or a second step, whatever, toward what today would be called disclosure. Well, who was who was organizing? There was I, I can get you the names. It was someone who was involved in uh, one or two of the Hollywood productions or the show or show business or something. But it was supposedly being done at the behest of the government in order to introduce people to the notion of UFOs and alien bodies, this kind of thing. And it never got anywhere. Uh, early seventies or late seventies? I can't remember offhand. I probably shouldn't have asked the question unless I had the the data yeah. it popped into my mind. But, uh, uh, yeah, I can get you that. By the late 70s, what you definitely have is some uh, very weird, let's say, shenanigans going on with the U.S. intelligence community and the UFO community. Mm. Uh, I mean, a lot of people involved in this field have heard the name of Richard Doty, who was the Air Force Intelligence and almost certainly CIA, I would say, who was involved in, in putting a lot of questionable information into the field starting 1979, 1980. Um, prior to that, there were a number of other kind of, you know, brushes that we know of with U.S. intelligence. So the 
most of those are in the form of disinfo. So um, now there was a case in the um, I think it's in the early mid seventies. Um, filmmaker Robert Emmenager uh, was producing a documentary that um, was supposedly with the um, with Air Force cooperation, where he had. Uh, going to use footage of an actual alleged landing of a craft at uh, Holloman Air Force Base in 1964. Okay. And that was that was discussed in 1973 or so, and that was pulled, although it's rumored that some of that clip footage was uh, made it into a, a documentary Emanego later put out in, uh, I think, the late 70s or early 80s. Okay. I mean, there's, there's all of these different connections that are around there, but um, the one you discuss, I Okay, well, I'll get you the information that we have. It's very spotty, but uh, you might be able to follow up on it somehow. Uh, Richard, yeah. well, uh, one of the things that uh, I, I suppose is is contemporary with the disclosure movement is the exopolitics movement, as it's called. Uh, mm-hmm. The idea, as I understand it, that we should prepare to deal with aliens uh, in a, I suppose, a, a diplomatic or pseudo-diplomatic way or, or to have some, some sort of protocol for welcoming and negotiating and all this sort of thing. And of course, I, I don't, I, I'm curious what you think of that movement. My main question is, you know, who says they would consider us as equals <laughs> with, with whom to have diplomatic relay or whatever it is? What, what do you think of the exopolitics idea? I've never been excited about it. Um, I mean, ever. Um, I know a lot, I think pretty much everyone who's involved in it. Some of those individuals are, are friends of mine and they're wonderful people. Yeah, it's me just too. It's not yeah. a, a concept that I, yeah, I don't really... I, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Now, in, in Europe, um, the, the phrase exopolitics has really become very wide. Uh, it, it's, not a, it's not a unified, focused kind of a definition. So um, you've got people like Michael Sala over in, in Honolulu or Hawaii who has an exopolitics institute, and he talks a little bit about the, like how you're describing it. Um, you know, you've got Dr., uh, Stephen Greer who talks, he doesn't really use the phrase exopolitics, but he's he's talking explicitly about um, people being ambassadors to extraterrestrials and and having psychic um, you know connection to uh, these other beings and and so forth. And you have uh, other people as well. Well, I'm not even going to name them all because I think some of them don't even deserve it. Who <laughs> um, I, really? I don't want to get no. No, I hear you. I hear you. But uh, who, who talk along the same lines? Okay. Kind of diplomatic relations with these other beings. All right. Um, in Europe, however, there's a lot of exopolitics groups that are, in my view, I think are very level-headed, and they, they're basically UFO groups, in my view. So I don't really think that they're necessarily – they use the phrase exopolitics, but they're not really doing the kind of exopolitics that, um, that you're referring to. They're just – I think they just call themselves exopolitics groups because they, um, they're tired of the phrase UFO. Okay. All right. Now, tell us about – you have a radio show? I understand, and it's a yeah, rather good one. I've heard it, and please tell us about it. I, I, it's going to go live in about an hour. So. No, okay. <laughs> um, it's every Sunday night, 8 to 10 Eastern Time, and it's called The Richard Dolan Show, and um, it's with uh, KGRARadio.com. Yeah. So it's going to face, and, um, and I kind of do what I'm doing with you, I, except um, I don't often have guests, so I... Uh, every now and then I'll have a guest and I'll interview them, but most of the time, I'd say 90% of the time, I just go on and do my little tap dance with the world and uh, talk about whatever I want to talk about. Great. 
Okay, sounds good. Yeah, I have heard that it's, it's really good. Uh, you're, you're one of our more articulate friends here in the subject, and uh, okay. re- really enjoyed having you on the show, Richard. And I'll get you to get that information off uh, off the air, of course. And uh, tell us one more time your uh, website, and uh, we'll sure. have to call it a night. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's richarddolanpress.com. And um, I need to do a little updating of the site, but it's, it's still very you know easy to navigate through, I think. Um, I'll be adding um, some information on current and upcoming authors. And, um, and I'm working on my own book projects that uh, not all of which are UFO-related. I guess I'll just, uh, just make a statement here that my book that I'm working on right now is a history of false flag operations. Mm. So it's not a UFO, and it's uh, really outside of the UFO field. Uh, false flags basically being um, nasty government or intelligence community operations that um, are, are blamed on some other party and typically are used to justify something that could not otherwise be justified. And I think there's a long history of this, and I'm doing a, the first ever comprehensive history of it. Sounds I great. will be doing, yeah, hopefully it'll be out in 2016. And after that, I'll be uh, hopefully trying to wrap up Volume 3 of UFOs International Security State. Great. Okay, Richard Dolan, thank you so much for a great conversation, and we'll be talking to you. Thank you, Paul. And let me offer my congratulations to Ben, and uh, hope, hope I'm wishing him a very, very, um, a very wonderful life as a married man. Well, oh, thank you. We've still got six months, but it's going to get here soon. Thanks a lot, and I'll pass that on, Richard. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you, Paul. Okay, everybody. Richard Dolan. Okay, uh, last Thursday, October 29th, I had a great evening presenting at the New England Institute of, uh, Institute of Technology and enjoying uh, its uh, absolutely gorgeous new campus. Many thanks to Anthony, Anthony Lafradio and the whole staff there. Uh, happy to meet many listeners and readers who attended. Uh, find out, out about our show, our appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, which we just learned is rated one of the top websites in the world for visits and use. So, uh, there, there can be... Uh, as many as, of course, 300, 630 p- free podcasts of past shows, both from here on uh, ON 1240 and our four and a half run on CBS, year run on CBS radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, ben and I will join author and researcher William J. Hall uh, for a presentation on what's really behind the paranormal on Sunday, November 21st from 2 to 5 p.m. at the Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratum, New Hampshire, Tickets are only $10. Visit BehindTheParanormal.com for a link to the information. And you can find my books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and The Usual Suspects. But if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I'll be happy to sign them for you. And you'll be help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our websites, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USACares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, and YouthMentoringConnection.org, doing great stuff out in Los Angeles for at-risk youth. Uh, There are two recent books from Global Communications, Timothy Green Beckley's publishing company, that would be of interest to our listeners. One is The Bell Witch Project. I've been on the air, I think it's about 16 hours of interviews this past week, because they drag me out at Halloween usually all the time. And uh, The Bell Witch Project contains that story and also a few contributions from me on historic paranormal cases here in New England, though I am not the author, but just a contributor. And a special interest to folks here on ON 1240, UFO Repeaters, that's the book, and uh, talks about our old friend Joe Ferrier, a whole chapter on Joe, who was a talk show host here for over 50 years. Both books available on Amazon.com. Next Monday, November 9th, we'll bring you an open line show to answer some very interesting questions from listeners on all paranormal subjects. And paranormal investigator Shane Searway will be with us to help answer the questions. And we'll leave you this evening with a thought from American motivational speaker Les Brown. 
Expect, I should say, accept responsibility for your life. Know that it is you who will get you get you where you want to go. No one else. Too many yous. Anyway, I am Paul Eno, and um, thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. See you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.